Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. The Senior Applied Sports Scientist at Catapult. Matt has worked at the North Melbourne Football Club as a rehab coordinator, strength and conditioning coach, a conditioning coach and consultant at Penley Essendon Grammar School, and a senior strength and conditioning coach at the Carlton Football Club. He's also had roles in VFL as well as the under-19s Australian cricket team. Highlights from this episode, we discuss Matt's top tips for developing strength and conditioning coaches wanting to gain work experience in elite sport. Matt explains the use of tactical periodization in AFL, how to physically prepare athletes for game day, and tips and tricks to deliver, deliver a clear message during a presentation. Before we start this episode, join me and our Academy members at our next Prepare Like a Pro live coaching event. We have one for strength and conditioning coaches and one for Australian Rules Football. For more information, click the link in our show notes. We have a special discount if you join our email newsletter. You can do that by heading over to preparelikeapro.com where you'll get 50% off. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for jumping on, Matt. No, thanks very much for the opportunity to come on, Jack. It's certainly grown this out to a, yeah to an amazing audience. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, looking looking forward to our chat tonight, and and it's tonight here in Australia. What what time yeah. is it where you are? Yeah, mate? It's, it's it's well, it's it's not too bad. It's seven a.m. So <laughs> we're kind of the opposites, obviously. Yeah, coffee <laughs> in hand. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Well, take us take us the very beginning of, of your career, mate. At, at what age did you, did you discover you were passionate about strength and conditioning? Obviously, you had an athletic pursuits as well. Is it? Mm-hmm. So you had your athletic goals. At what point did you shift your focus from from an athlete to to a coach? Yeah, I suppose like probably most SNCs in Australia, to be honest, a bit of kind of come through the pathway. It's obviously that dabbled in football in some capacity or whether it's cricket and I genuinely think like really going back to where it all began. My first real exposure was going through the Murray Bush Rangers program up in the country, like a Nathalia product up near Shepparton. And I think I remember getting access to a training plan, honestly, that had some some basic dumbbells and weights. And I was pretty remote back then, living on a little country, in a little country town, but on a farm. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely think that was probably my first exposure to, to really any form of lifting. And then I suppose as obviously graduated, I had some, I had some couple of years at Assumption College and definitely had a little bit more exposure through my PE classes in terms of weight training, but it wasn't probably until I decided to have a, have a crack at playing some VFL football with the Northern Borants back then. Uh, and, and Adam Wright was our fitness coordinator. So. Yeah, Whitey, really passionate guy, lovely, lovely guy. Was yeah, pretty hard on us, I suppose, back then, which we, which was great. My first, yeah, sorry, first year in the yeah, it was first year in the BFL, two thousand four, going into two thousand five. I actually had my first ACL reconstruction, so I genuinely see that stemmed my interest in obviously strength and conditioning and and it was really a good kick in the backside as well to go and get some work experience and i think that that from that like being really proactive and trying to understand obviously the body at a, a little bit deeper level i actually got on a call with a guy called paul turk at oh, yeah. performance manager at 
North Melbourne Footy Club at the time, and I had a good contact there. And a guy called Shane Curry who's now involved at uh, Richmond Footy Club, but I gave PT a call and said, "Hey, mate, literally just done my ACM studying sports science and sports management at uni, and I'm interested in getting some experience." And thankfully, he was really open to it and invited me down to their preseason, and I literally hung around there for the rest of the year. So it was oh, wow. my first intro to it. Oh, fantastic. And what did that look like for? Yeah, from an experience point of view, were you doing a day a week in the gym on the field? Was it more than a day a week? What, yeah, what did the schedule look like for you? Yeah, I was probably quite fortunate because I was living in Kensington, uh, which is just literally down the road from North Melbourne and obviously going to Victoria University, uh, which as a part of my degree, half of it was out in Sunbury with the sports management course, but then it um, integrated over to the Footscray campus with exercise science. So living there just enabled me to literally walk down the road and pretty much to to, <laughs> to North Melbourne, to Harden Street. And I was there probably a couple of days a week, like when I could, obviously outside of classes, hassling the guys and just trying to observe like as much as I could. So it was everything from in the gym and out on field as well. I think I've been taking Daniel Harris through a rehab session. Literally, it was all prescribed out by PT and, and John Siegel at the time. And, and yeah, literally... Coaching him through that and I'm turning around and trying to pinch myself a little bit. I've gone from, you know, first, second year uni student to literally throwing in the deep end here. Yeah. But I definitely still saw like a really, I suppose, just an introduction towards obviously what, what it's all about. And there was nothing better because PT just, yeah, which I'm forever grateful for, obviously just gave me the exposure, literally <laughs> the first conversation, which I wasn't anticipating. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you wouldn't have been unfamiliar with the sport football, of course, playing at a high level, but I guess seeing it from a staff's lens, were, were there some surprises in the high performance world for you as a, as a student going in? Yeah, I, I think back then it was like, and I speak like a, one of the older ones there, but I genuinely think like strength and conditioning and to a certain degree, obviously sports science was still so yeah, it, it was it's sports science in particular was still so infant in terms of where it was in the, in the league. Or even like a recall when Catapult first came out and they had a one hertz unit, which was literally the size of brick, and the players literally doing back rolls and out on, out on the field and complaining that they're having to wear these things. And yeah, it just that, that was part of my internship. So, but then at the same time, I had an exposure on game day and actually see like, what it was like in terms of the competitiveness. Yeah, I seen obviously the the full operations of the high performance environment with Dean Laidley at the time as the as the head coach, and I suppose the the pressure, no doubt, that come with that for high performance staff. But what it did really teach me, and, and as I mentioned before, like to PT's credit, was just the organisation that's required in the environment and the detail. So mm. looking at that with regards to programming, organising the players, scheduling, and so forth, like it was, uh, it was a real eye opener. Um, I generally think like there's takeaways there for, for any athlete is to know what it looks like in terms of the environment and how you obviously have to prepare yourself to perform <laughs> to, to obviously part of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, and in terms of doing it, like you mentioned, you're completing your degree at VU. You're obviously spending some time at North Melbourne and being a bit of a sponge there, absorbing and, and helping out the program. How are you making ends meet? Was there another cap that you were wearing to, to bring some money in? Yeah, it was. Back then, I actually had a, it was a, 
opportunity at the company called Jetty Surf, which was a sales opportunity. So yeah, I was working there obviously around uni and then commitments with work experience. And to be honest, I started a, a personal training business because when I was at, when I was at the Northern Bull, I had a guy named Ben Fletcher from Listen to Body Personal Training come down and give a presentation to us, literally on protein supplementation one night. And I was actually going to the YMCA here in Ascot to do my rehab at the time and kind of got to know Ben a little bit. And then I think that just the conversation started as a grew more interested in the industry and met up for a coffee and said, hey mate, I'm actually interested in training clients and and, and obviously I'm studying it and basically said that I think my accreditation allows me to do it now. Is there an opportunity? And he said, yep, absolutely. Let's, uh, let's get you involved. And I literally did that for about four and a half years and trying to juggle, which was my first opportunity in the industry after North Melbourne for that year at Cricket Victoria with the Women's Cricket Program. So uh, oh, that, was, uh, that was an amazing journey to literally just obviously come from a couple of coffees, meeting up with some, yeah, some of my network. So a, a trend that seems to be coming through at this early on in your career is your ability to be able to recognize the people that, you know, are impactful people, I guess, that are, are going to hook you up with, you know, I guess you call it networking people to, you know, they're going to get you in a foot in the door somewhere. Is that something that just came intuitively? I think I'm going to call Ben or I'm going to mm. call so-and-so who's got a contact at North Melbourne and, and see where it goes. Or did someone, did a mentor help you out in that space? It yeah, takes through sort of your mindset in, in making those calls. Yeah, I think, honestly, university gave me a pretty good, I suppose, grounding for that, just in terms of I had Dr. George Elias, I had, uh, I remember having Colin Harushamal and who else, Dr. David Modifin even come in to give some presentations at the time and obviously had them for my advanced resistance training courses. But I generally think like it was a natural part of my personality as well. Maybe I did it for my mother a little bit, but just getting out of my comfort zone. And I think that's something you need to really do early on in your career is knowing that you, you don't know everything and to be honest I don't today and then who is in your network and and how can obviously those people around you obviously support the questions that you're trying to ask yeah. which may potentially from a work perspective lead to an opportunity so yeah. that definitely I think comes as part of my natural personality but at the same time there were certainly some key takeaways from my yeah from my studies at the time yeah, and no, that's a good gem for, for those developing SNCs to, to definitely do that, get out of your comfort zone and, and build your network base from, from a, yeah, early on in your career. It's only going to pay dividends for sure. And and the the fact that you were wearing these different hats, how did you go about building a PT business at that time? You mentioned you had sales experience at this point. Did that help with, with setting up some clients with your PT? No, I totally, yeah, it really did. It was, it was very, I think that's where a lot of my confidence did grow, just purely because like in sales at the time, I remember, I think at GD Surf, you had a target to hit $300 or whatever it was in a day. So that was That's a part true. of obviously, yeah, <laughs> uh, a part of however you did that. It could be in shoes, could be in clothes, but exactly, yeah, whatever <laughs> it was. So I think that definitely did help, no doubt. But, and then obviously the confidence that, that gave me to go walk up to a new client or obviously potentially just chat to someone about training and their regimes and what they're currently doing and potentially how you could help out. But to, to the wines and to Ben um, Fletcher's credit back then, he was building a really good brand and like even today for where it's at, because he's definitely franchised that basically all over Australia now, that he uh, he he had a lot of leads at the time and, and that certainly made our, our job pretty easy in terms of getting that. So yeah, that, that definitely did help. Awesome. Yeah. And going back to your, your career progression, so you 
what was the next step before you was at a, a, a paid role once you sort of qualified your degree? Yeah, I think looking back now, I was, I was also pretty lucky to have the opportunity straight after North Melbourne, uh, which was mm-hmm. literally a year after my internship. I met the runner at the time at North Melbourne in Ken Hanama. And, and he basically, yeah, gave me a tap me on the shoulder after what a game, I think it was against Jamal, and said, hey, I'm working at Crick Victoria, so I was an assistant coach and with the females program and we want to try and bring in, I suppose, a fitness girl and work on our pre-season. And I think as we know, like cricket tends to start in the middle of the year and it was kind of getting to that point of time. And uh, yeah, obviously. Went through the interview process with David Bailey at the time with the Bush Rangers. Catherine Fitzpatrick was the head coach and obviously Ken Hannah. And yeah, that uh, that learned into basically um, evolved into a permanent part-time role, which essentially, yeah, gave me uh, really my first big opportunity at 22 to, I think, yeah, 22 to travel with another opportunity, which are in cricket. They, these opportunities certainly do open up, but with the Australian yeah. and the 19 national team. So yeah, all around Australia, back then I, I was very fortunate to head to uh, Jabonga, so forth, to play in South Africa and India. And, and still today, there's a lot of the yeah, certain Australian players that are involved in that team, Mitch Marsh and so forth. So yeah, I was yeah, very touchy, I think, early on my career to, to have that exposure. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the point, once you landed that role and you obviously must have interviewed well and presented well to convince that the coaches that you were the right man for the job. Once once you're a successful applicant, how did you go about preparing your first pre-season you know, in, in that role? Was it leaning on research? Was it leaning on colleagues and picking their brain? Yeah, take us through your, your first, your preparation, I guess. Yeah, to be honest, like to his full credit as well, David Bailey, for me early on in my career, was uh, yeah, was, was un- unbelievable as a resource. We had, yeah, certainly pretty Victoria at the times that, know that their, their facilities have changed now going across to the junction oval but it, it was located at the mcg underneath the tunnel oh, awesome and yeah which is which is amazing basically we ran every thursday morning fitness session and that was a part of a commitment so i literally had to drive in on a thursday morning for an hour an hour and a half obviously train with the girls as well and then go off and continue on with the, the rest of the day so that evolved into a couple of couple of mornings or backflipped it into a night and into a morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, definitely from a, I think from a running content perspective, but then also understanding like the conditioning element, which then evolved into obviously the application in the gym. Definitely Bales had a, yeah, had a huge impact on, on me early on in my career. And I think in conjunction, no doubt, with, with PT uh, at North Melbourne, because I was just constantly bouncing ideas off the, off those guys at the time and uh, ended up even pitching a staff member in from one of the players at North Melbourne to come and help me as, as an assistant in Lee Harding. And yeah, awesome. Yeah, we continuously built that out. So yeah, it was, it was an amazing opportunity and, and I'm, yeah, really grateful for it. Yeah, and the you're in the gym as well as running the the running sessions. So it was both too well. Yep. Yeah, it was, it, and it was just because I was looking at obviously the, the micro cycle in terms of well, how do we cater for a non-professional athletes essentially, and you're trying to break down like what is realistic, I suppose, for them in terms of strength and conditioning, and knowing that they're probably now, which certainly there's minimal effective dose, but there's certainly some athletes that, that definitely want to, want to do more 
So, which I absolutely gravitated and tried to construct a program that would, would allow for them to be able to do more. Yeah. But I think the just beauty about it was through the partnership, obviously, with Cricket Australia, we had a lot of guidance, particularly through Arab Kellett and that, I suppose, the testing protocols that coming down the line from a, yeah, from a, really from a national perspective, that helps, I suppose, drive some of our buy-in mm-hmm. with particularly with weight training and exposure. So everything from, if you're getting assessed, obviously to go up into the national team from a pressing, pulling, squatting perspective, mm-hmm. we know that we're probably going to have to start investing in some of these key movements in the, in the gym and, and that probably stems some of the, the growth and, and, and obviously the application of strength training. In, yep. in obviously, yeah, sort of for where we're heading from an athlete development perspective, so... But knowing that, yeah, try, just trying to, it, it still did have some constraints, unfortunately, because uh, the girls were very tight poor back then and knowing that they've only got X amount of time to go into a running session and go into a lift session, you've got to be pretty organized and you've got to be pretty bang on with your content that you're going to give them. So that's all some considerations. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're juggling many things with them living in a life outside of the, the demands of, the, of training. And you mentioned you brought Lee Harding on. Was that something, I imagine that wasn't a role that was previously in place with the club. So how did you go about convincing the club to invest in, in Lee? Yeah, I think with, yeah, with the turtle at the time, was his name. He, was, he was definitely keen on looking at something post-football, but clearly when you're dealing with an experienced player like that who's played 100-plus games late for football, he could bring a lot to the table, I think, from a leadership perspective, culture perspective as well. So he, and, and knowing that, particularly with me, if you're out there taking the warm-up and you may have a rehab group, obviously, over on the side, and you're trying to do it, which we implemented, was hydration testing with urine, yep. sample, so forth and there's all these other extra components obviously towards managing program you, you just need some for assistance i think the beauty about it was when harder and met met stuff we'd see it was an easy conversation to be able to yeah at least find something and soon yeah okay cool yeah he, he added a lot of value yeah and and what was your your next role after working in cricket yeah, I, I was obviously the football background was definitely keen to get involved in football and, and obviously outside of playing, but knew that that was probably coming towards a bit of an end as well in terms of uh, where I was at athletically as well as opportunity wise. So you're still playing football at this stage? Yeah. We're still, yeah, you're still yeah. obviously dabbling in the VFL environment. I think the hardest bit is clearly, you know, it's just the commitment level when you're training three nights a week and then as you Clearly, no really on in your career with regards to strength and conditioning. It's and trying to get an opportunity and working nights and working mornings. It's, it's a really difficult thing to manage. So yeah. I genuinely think what I tried to do was just look at the, the whole broader picture in terms yep. of how I was managing it, but then pull back in particular areas. And unfortunately, football for me just had to had to give way. Hence why I ended up going up to the country to play a lot of football up there in order to, to manage my work schedule, which obviously was starting to, to grow in particular areas. And, and that's where I had an opportunity. Like it was actually through when I was personal training at the time, I met it on, had a, a come through a like university email at Lakeview Secondary College in Caroline Springs. And they were looking to develop a athletic development program. And I remember just emailing the guy randomly, just which was the, the head of PE, 
and basically said that I'm interested in your program that you've got. Like, I'd love to find out some more information about it. So, emailed him, caught up with him, and then all of a sudden, honestly, it turned into a, yeah, like a nearly a permanent part-time role. I mean, he was also the assistant coach of the Western Jets Football Club, and obviously, that conversation evolved and, yeah, ended up landing the, the head of Spurs Forwards now, Football Club, through that opportunity. So, yeah, it was just sort of come out of nowhere, to be honest, and that's where I closed down the PT business early on, and much was just at the college, working in cricket, yep. and then obviously working in with the Western Jets for that year in two 2011, 12, and uh, yeah, and spent a year there. I had some really good system in, in Jay Ellis, who I've definitely got to give a shout out to. He was just awesome for me at the time, and I you know him well. But great fella, we, we certainly learned a lot, I think, from each other back then. And, and then I literally had a year there, and that's where my where really my first good opportunity to come up in football was with the ads on playing department. So yeah. that was basically was a call from Jeff Geeshan. Back in the day and uh, spent between three years there with the uh, referees. And then, yeah, that evolved obviously into my, my opportunities at Carlton and then North Melbourne. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's amazing the, the, the move around that's going on, you know, in your, in your 20s, early on in your career. And you, you mentioned something that would no doubt a lot of listening coaches are either currently going through or, or have been where they, they're juggling that, yeah, their athletic pursuits and their, their passion for playing sport. And competing at the highest level they can while still trying to grow and and it does conflict and i think you put it quite well eventually um if you're putting in hard work it, your strength and conditioning pursuit will start to build momentum and you sort of need to then strip back your your other hobbies to support it was it something that was a no-brainer for you or was it something that you really struggled with and had to lean on some mentors on on that decision making Damon and I, like, I definitely wanted to continue playing. I just knew that and, and going as, as long as I could at, at that particular level, I just knew it was unsustainable. And and at the time, like, it was pretty early on, I went and met my now wife just after after my 20, 21st. Yep. And we're, yeah, starting to talk about, obviously, future at the time and buying a house and getting settled and so forth. And I think there was this real, yeah, reality moment around where things going and the more we're trying to build and, and that's certainly something that we just weighed up at the time and I'm like, well, I can't continue to train three nights a week and something's got to pull back and, and certainly to its, you know, to, which worked out really well in hindsight, by pulling back in those areas, obviously enabled me to really go more focused with regards to, yeah, diving into the AFL, AFL umpiring department opportunity when it come up. So, yeah, um, yep. yeah, that, that was a lot of juggling, obviously, when you Starting to invest in things like property early on, it's a it, it is a big arm wrestle, and you're constantly thinking about those finances in the back of your head, and you support those people around you. And yeah, honestly, couldn't have done it without her and her support as well. And yeah, going into the AFL umpires, well, I've never worked with 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 umpires before. What what does the schedule look like for them? You know, from a periodization point of view, is it follow a similar sort of load? I imagine with with AFL footballs in the sense that they have a, a pre-season, building them up and then getting them ready for, for games. But yeah, what does what what your role look like and how does that work with, with the umpires? Imagine it would have to be fairly remote sometimes as well. Yeah, it was. It, I did get to do a bit of travel around to each of the states as a part of the role as well, So, which was an amazing opportunity. But just to see like how decentralised some of the, the umpires are and I suppose particularly with the Victorian setup, you do have majority of the umpires that 
either, I suppose, moving to state and, and coming mm. to that particular setting because it is real hard for it. But uh, I just had such an appreciation for just how much running that an athlete can handle, I think was, was really my key takeaways at the time. To see these guys running five, six days a week on top of obviously getting through the, the match it, <laughs> matches as well in some cases, because like the, the boundary on clients can sometimes be doubling up on a, on a weekend. So if they yeah. go on a Thursday night and they're going potentially again on a Sunday back then, or at least backing up as an assistant to someone if they go down with colours or whatever, that it, the running volumes that these guys were getting through was just, yeah, it was something that was eye-opening for me because I think coming from that, like obviously that cricket background of the strength and power of looking at the those shorter, more explosive efforts because really you've got that one pure acceleration with maybe one change of direction point in, mm. in cricket. Now to see just how much endurance these guys can handle, I think this was yeah what really gave me a good exposure inkling into into running and and obviously endurance training, particularly at the football environment. Was the squad sort of similar to a football cricket squad in that you had your developing players and then you had your senior umpires that were they all full-time dedicated to umpires in terms of they're professionally paid or was some of them still juggling like a semi-professional athlete in the sense that they had other ways of making money? What it looked like from a finance point of view? Yeah, there was, they weren't obviously full-time back then. I, I'm not sure, actually sure where it is today, but there was a lot of talk that, that potentially putting a small cohort of them on at some stage to go full-time, but certainly back then they weren't, so they were having to juggle a lot. We, we did have a lot of teachers, like with Matt Stevick and, and so forth, Nick Ford, those types of guys. And then outside of that, there was a lot of banking. So they were constantly trying to juggle, obviously, mm-hmm. they were fitting in their running. And and obviously, where, where I started out was based around just pure strength training. So in the gym, to complement what they were doing out on the field, we had as our head of fitness, Peter Mulkerns, who was, yeah, again, really, really good to me. He was, he was, he doing obviously all things running volumes and, and I suppose, yeah, gave the guys a, a really good insight towards his experience at the AFL level from a running perspective and, and really trying to mirror. I suppose the game demands as to, to what they need to do to not only condition the guys, but then also running pat. Oh, but then obviously how it loaded the gym, I think something for me personally that um, had to really think through because when you deal with those sorts of running volumes and how much can they actually handle from a strength perspective, so it was a really interesting task that I was keen to dive into. Yeah. And so, so what would be a typical AFL game, roughly speaking, in, in distance and, and high-speed running? With it, with, um, yeah, yeah with like I was... I was seeing some outfits like with the guys back then because unfortunately we didn't have a lot of GPS units, but we had Paul Turk as a solvent to the AFL referees and he was able to lend us basically a few GPS units for a football club at the time. Oh, right. and, uh, and and so in tracking, I suppose, that we were able to do back then, like on our central umpires, we were seeing around 14, 15 kilometres plus, and potentially depending on obviously where they were, the central theatre or so forth. But then boundary umpires were doing, yeah, 16, 17. Oh, they're doing more. But yeah, with all that, like their high speed running was, uh, yeah, three and 4,000 kilometres. So... 
But yeah. just to have that appreciation for that sub-maximum running component, I think was, yeah, was something that really did yeah, typical interest, I suppose, back then yeah. because they, they can handle a lot of high-speed running tempo-based work. Yeah, and hence why they needed so much volume in their week Stylish. to be able to handle that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's cool. And then obviously from a from strength perspective, like really what, what we tried to do, I suppose, was just knowing that the guys are pretty sensitive towards any change as the athlete is, was really just think about the, the movements, obviously, that they're required to do. Keep it really simple, but implement a really movement competency-based system in order to, to, to build that up, potentially as to be some load over time, but just trying to establish some buying because the culture back then wasn't great in terms of strength training. Mm. So that uh, really got to think about how you can get the group involved in it and then educating the group on the importance of it as well to, to really try and protect their careers and, 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 and potentially create some longevity in their careers yeah. as well. Yeah, it's a good yeah, good point you make with the, with the buy-in factor, no doubt. At any time in, in your career as a coach, you're going to face a population or, or a few athletes in a squad that don't love the gym. They love the sport they play, but don't necessarily love the gym. So, And you mentioned education. What were some successful sort of methods that you've used in the past to, I guess, with these umpires in this in this scenario to, yeah, to get buy-in from the guys that don't love the gym? Yeah, I think we... Back then, we tried to lean on like just some of the endurance research, to be honest, just to try and establish what started my master's through Edith Cowan University. And I remember looking at a lot of the endurance training, I suppose, the strength training for endurance, for endurance training back then. Um, but also leaning on, obviously, Paul Turk at the time with regards to like what the AFL guys were, were doing as a consultant. I think that's the, the beauty beauty about having a consultant come in and, and providing a second set of eyes to educate the group, but also work with us as practitioners. Yeah. So that definitely, like looking at just the role of strength training in terms of brain economy and brain efficiency and so forth, that that's, that really, once we establish some mind with simple exercises, I'm talking so simple, like a basic bodyweight squat, like an inline run, an RDL, calf rights, like for under time of retention, like keep it so simple, all a body weight, and then eventually we'll start to, to add some. And once the guys, and clearly there were some really good guys that enjoyed lifting, I'll give a shout out to Brendan Hosking and uh, Nick Foot, but these guys were really keen to yeah to invest in their strong training because I genuinely think it, it did help them and, and that probably leveraged the conversation amongst the group a little bit further. Jordan Bannister, coming from his AFL background as Lee Fisher, definitely did help to to get some of that iron further because they'd had exposure. So you, you literally, I think, try and hit it from as many angles as you possibly can in order to, to get that iron in the group. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. From what I gather, what you're saying, you've got you know, leaning on the whole team, so the consultant as well as staff that you're working with, so sort of a team message that's consistent, and then you know stretching the players too much where you're going to lose them. So you're keeping the exercises simple and, and having consistency with that, so they're not yeah you know, they're not going to feel like they're hurting themselves. I guess you're sort of building up their confidence and they're feeling comfortable with that, which would naturally build trust. I imagine was that sort of your thinking there? So yeah. you build yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. 
And I think that's where, that, like from a, from a then injury perspective as well, knowing also, as we mentioned, the, the running volumes that the guys have to get through and looking mm. at the types of injuries that are coming through. And Mark Fraser was our physiotherapist and, and just having constant conversations with, with Fraser with regards to, well, what are we seeing and how can, how can we address this, how can we promote it, knowing the schedule, obviously, that we've got. Something we tried to do, I set it up very early on, big proponent of visual coaching pro that utilised their system to go, go in, create a, a, a report or potentially an individualised report as much as we could based on pathology of the player and, and provide that as their, their injury prevention program. You've just got to work out where you can fit it in based on what days you're running on and, and knowing that every month's schedule is very different, at least they had something in place that was specific to them. So, And when they do a majority of their work behind the scenes, so you guys were more facilitating a program and then they would run when they could and do their injury prevention program when they could or with some sessions face-to-face? Yeah, most, like, there was, there was two commitments throughout the week where it was face-to-face. So you basically have different times. Like we were starting basically the afternoon for those guys who obviously finished up teaching, could come in. So that was great obviously for my role because I could, I could, allow, could, could get there for those times. And then obviously that back to lifting to the nighttime crew, obviously once they finish work and then come in yeah, down to the facility. So they could fit in running program break and they come to their, their lift straight afterwards. So yeah, we were able to hit both ends of the stick. Or for some guys, potentially if they didn't want to do that, obviously you need to have a conversation with them. If you're going to do this away from here, take this with you, your bliss, we're putting our full trust in you or reach out to one of us and we're happy to, to go through that with you as well. Yep. Yep. Very good. And then, and going back to your, your journey progression, you mentioned Carlton was sort of the next stop after your three-year tenure at oh, umpires. Talk us through your your, the, what was the contract? Was a full-time, part-time? And what were your responsibility at the club at this stage? Yeah, it was, it was a full-time role, which was, yeah, which is great. And again, like I was a full win by then, to be honest, and um, in terms of commitment. And that started off as a dual role between the Northern Blues as the high-performance manager and then obviously pinch-hitting in with, uh, with Carlton Football Club. So, yep. yeah, it was uh, long basically at yeah, well done. It's <laughs> fully aware. But at the same time, it was a, yeah, it was a wonderful introduction just to understand, obviously, what the knowing, I suppose, as a player, like what the commitment is like when you've been at work all day and then you've got to go off to, to training. And then you've got, yeah, try to organize groups, like from a management perspective. I think that absolutely did help a, a lot because yeah. the squad size was big. But I'd already had exposure to that, obviously, prior to with the Western Jets and so forth, where the list size just humongous. And uh, yeah, and then obviously that that literally meant into an opportunity a year in when we had a staff member left, and I just basically went all full time with the uh, with the, the senior program. Senior program, yep. yep. So that's sort of like that two IC head strength conditioning role. Yep. Yeah, correct. That's fantastic. That was under, uh, yeah, under Joel Hawking at the time. So yep. Joel, yeah, for, for me, honestly, is probably one of the one of the best practitioners I've worked with. I think he has been on your show before, but uh, yeah, from a just I think from a running education standpoint, to to really just look at how what he did in those couple of years at Carlton, I think he's certainly going to take a lot of the credit, and I know he won't because he's very modest, but his ability to really look at the detail in the program and what was required to address, I thought was yeah, yeah, really outstanding, but. It's more so just the, the, the coaching aspect 
And that was probably something that when I sat down with him, it was just looking at, well, what do we want to achieve? And it's like getting, teaching these guys how to obviously work on their instantaneous acceleration. How do we actually teach them how to run sub-maximally? The sprinting exposure, looking at those simple aspects of performance. Joel, yeah, certainly gave me full access and full range, to be honest, to be able to, to dive into that coaching aspect, which was, honestly, I think it's a good step to, to where I am today. Hey there, hope you're enjoying this episode with Matthew Pell. We're just going to take a quick break to hear a snippet of our interview with episode 22, Tim Gabbett. Nico Jaras has uh, sent through, dear Gabbett, do you believe that the ACWR, so the acute to chronic work ratio, can be a good option in people with chronic pathologies disease? Yeah, I mean, what we're, what we're talking about with the acute chronic workload ratio is just progressive overload. It's it's progressive overload 101. And, and, and importantly, it's different from from just saying, take this and see how you feel. What what you're actually doing is loading relative to someone's capacity. So if it, it, we're, we're talking about a key training principle, progressive overload is a key training principle. So as far as I'm aware, there's no... There's no studies that have looked at the acute chronic workload ratio and pathologies, um, such as tendinopathy or athletes in pain. But if you have a think about, if you were to problem solve your way through some of the challenges with with those pathologies, how would you go about it? You would you would try and progressively expose your athlete, whether they whether they've got a pathology or whether they're they're in in chronic pain, you would ex- progressively expose them to some sort of stress. And the stress in this case is training. Mm. What you're trying to do is is gradually improve their tolerance to that stress. To hear more from the sports science expert, Tim Gabbett, make sure to scroll to episode 22 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Now back to the rest of the episode with Matthew Pell. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy. How did that sort of work relationship function from day to day? Would you guys catch up in the morning of a of a of a main training session, talk about who's running warm up, who's running the conditioning blocks, and and mm-hmm. sort of your targets? And then would you re, you know would you reflect and review it together post or yeah, talk, take us through sort of your systems, I guess, of communication. Yeah, it's it's a lot, particularly in an AFL environment when you're looking at like modifications. Of guys like going in. The good thing about it is, in most obviously, most high performance settings, a little bit different over this year that we can talk about that later on. But I think the emphasis in terms of the management aspect, I definitely did see there was really big focus on that initial medical meeting in the morning. Um, yep. That's obviously driven by various people. I think there's obviously a, uh, a rehab component, which is traditionally physios and your doctors. Um, but then obviously your, your performance manager who's really working in consultation coaching staff to, to go through the list. Uh, I won't say roster uh, over here, but to, to go through the to go through the list, but then work out obviously who can do what, and then do what modifications might be in the environment. So can they do a 18 v 18, or if they can't, why? So do we regress them out? Is there any other drills potentially that they can do? not necessarily taking them just and shutting down. I think that was, you know, to Joel's credit, his, his ability to just think on spot and then understand, well, straight line running, that, that's certainly something that the athlete might be able to achieve and, and try to prioritise getting into actual work. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's juggling act between the yeah. all, all parties. So, and like, and to continue on with that, like the extension of those meetings are uh, just so fluid because, like, jobs are coming up during during training, checking in and asking like, how's how's what's like going, who you're working with, and, uh, and then obviously just try and have that dialogue. Like, where are we at, Dan James? That's you. Yeah, we're a colleague of yours at Melbourne Footy Club. He, yeah, he was my rehab physio working with at the time. And we're just constantly having good communication, I think, between the, the three of us around, well, when can they go into these particular drills outside of that main medical meeting? Where's their progression at? So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that process. And I think Joel, yeah, to his credit, was really collaborative around it. Yeah. And with the developing athletes listening into the podcast, Matt, what were some of your favourite acceleration drills? You mentioned, you know, speed out of the blocks and how important it is with football and how you and Joel would, would come up with drills to improve that aspect of the game. What, what were some drills that I guess pop up to mind that, that athletes could start practising in their warm-ups or in their, their training sessions to improve that area? Yeah, I think, yeah, like just going really basic, like in a 1v1 contested situation, like literally just grappling, I suppose, with your opponent and then being able to have someone to cheer you to be able to, to get out of blocks. Now, just working on that first one to three steps is, is really critical. But then I suppose what I think is really valuable and what we tried to do is even further was just filming. Um, so from side on, from posterior, actually just have a look at how you're extending from the hip, knee and ankle, and literally get someone to be able to have a look at that. And that's where I think like three-point starts are really good, or standing starts or a rolling start variation. These are all fantastic drills to be able to obviously coach those aspects of acceleration. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's a whole gamut there. But, uh, yeah, Joel. Again, what seems a really big component of those, those first three steps, essentially, because at the end of the day, we're trying to get away from your opponent and we're talking about really marginal gains in AFL, your competitiveness, mm. and, and that's where I think it's really relative to the environment. And then in your own personal role supporting Joel, what were some sort of key focuses or key pillars that you found that meant that you're sort of a successful on each day for your role? Yeah, because I was obviously trying to juggle a bit in terms of that role. Is basically was out on the field doing a lot of the mid to end stage reconditioning. And then outside of that was in the weight room under in the gym, sorry, under Stuart Livingston. And then I was trying to do the running for a couple of years there as well. And I think anyone who's done running it at the AFL level to be able to, to get through those dimensions, the older you get, it's... Uh, oh, you're doing the running, right. Doing the running as well, uh-huh. it's really not an easy thing. It's probably more taxing, to be honest. Like literally if I had been playing, but no, it's, it's, it's a really difficult thing because running modes, particularly the high speed aspect of getting a message and then going on and off to the, the field at AFL level. Yeah, uh, is, is that's when the rotations were higher as well. So it was, yeah, just transition to go from yeah, 100 twin down to 90. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, no, it's, it's, it's full on. Like, really yeah. so I think, I think it's like having most opportunities and, and obviously, but I think the issue is particularly staff is how you're actually designing their roles and knowing the responsibilities they have to lock into. There, there is a lot that they're trying to manage on their plate and look at like progressions. We all know it when actually prescribing writing programs and content design. There's a lot of communication in your high-performance environment to be able to make that decision. We've gone through injuries, obviously, as the players come back, 
where that's for sports scientists to be able to have a look at your load. And then obviously your performance manager to look at that exit criteria. So they can do made in V8. So yep. Yep. yeah, they're, they're, those communication aspects, if we really go back, I think really where I suppose it stemmed from to back in all those, those days of being able to, to, to really communicate effectively in the environment. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. It's so important, and also it sounds like you were you know in all areas of the of the strength and conditioning, from warm ups to helping out rehabilitation to being in the gym to being on the field, and then obviously work close with the coaches on on game day, being the run up. So, how important is it? Do you think to to be heavily involved when you are at a club in all areas from a from your own personal development? Yeah, no, it's 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 an amazing exposure, and I think that's really where you do a lot of your learning, like you personally as well as obviously professionally, and then. I suppose if you really have the strength and conditioning lens on as well, like game day, finding out what really does matter. And, and like when now, I suppose the, the position I have over here, when you're comparing across AFL, across a multitude of sports, I think the the physical and mental aspect of AFL demands is by far the most complex that I've seen in the world. Oh, right. And you are required to do multiple aspects of technical and tactical and physical, obviously all in that for 120 minutes plus of game time and endure for that long as an athlete. It's, uh, it's certainly very, very demanding. And I think it's very demanding, obviously, for the staff to be able to effectively say, is that athlete ready to play? Um, yep. When you're dealing with so many different variables as well in the environment, and that's that's certainly you know, like there's coaching component to that, and then obviously the, the physical aspect to to be able to say is that player actually in condition to perform 120 minutes of game time. That's where I think it gave really good lesson in terms of well, the even background that I had from the playing perspective coming in to the, mm-hmm. to really look at have we actually done enough to prepare this athlete. And what were some things, yeah, I think it's a really good point, like when you are yeah, literally next to the players on game day and seeing how challenging it is and, and getting that close-up eye and feel for it, what sort of change did you, did it, from your strength and conditioning philosophy, do you think, or, or what evolved from that, I guess? Yeah, I, I've probably got to give a lot of credit to, to Joel in that. It was, it was just his ability to, like, think of the, the game demands. And, and I suppose this is probably where, like, GPS started to, in terms of like location positioning, looking at like the running patterns that a that a player has to run, and 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 he was really good at breaking down obviously what those requirements are for football, and do we actually need to condition athletes the way that we have done before? Like, can we make it more a tactical periodization concept that build obviously those aspects of preparation actually into the, the training to complement the coaching staff? So. I think that's that's certainly yeah a lot of credit to, to Joel. What what I was able to then take into rehab as to how we condition the players and just making it specific as we could for a forward, for a defender, obviously for an inside midfield that's coming back and making sure that they have had some form of exposure in regards to obviously those those movements that they're going to have to complete. Yep, yep, and then that role yeah. the challenge. I just yeah. <laughs> well, the challenge was like <laughs> particularly with the. The strong boys that you're dealing with. I think I remember doing a rehab session one day with Alex Subani where I was going back with the flight and he literally sat on my head in a rehab session and there got a bit of a standing ovation from it. But, and, and like you're dealing with that type of player who's just a bull at a gate with regards to everything that he does from a physical perspective and 
and you're trying to make sure that he's ready to do what he needs to do, which is like in some instances, it's impossible to prepare in rehab because yeah. he's only going to get that in a game because I'm running Brunson one line and he's going straight at the ball as hard as he can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and from what you've explained, this role where you were heavily involved in the, in the whole program makes a lot of sense getting in rehabilitation at, at North Melbourne. Take us through your mindset with leaving Carlton and going to, to North Melbourne. Yeah, that was that was an amazing opportunity, honestly. I think because like John Siegel was the the one who initiated that in, in one of my off seasons and and basically said that we where who was in at the time. They had a couple of staff that were just excellent. I turn off to my head, but I think it was Dan Meehan a couple of the year before Steve Saunders had just left, so they're still reorganizing, obviously their staff. And that basically turned into, yeah, a conversation genre around or he knew exactly kind of where I was at, I suppose, in football. And then because I had word at North Melbourne back in the day and internship. Yeah. yeah, internship. And John was actually our consultant dietitian with the referees. So oh, there you department. go. Yep. Yeah. So we did have a, a, a good relationship, obviously, in terms of that connection piece back then. And and he had worked in that return to play space for a long time previously, juggling a lot of hats and doing the running and everything else that come with it at the elite level. So yeah, it was basically a conversation that, that started and eventually, yeah, turned into something that I was really, really attracted to because I think this is, depending on the experience of the departments as well, like there are some fantastic physiotherapists out there, obviously, that are trying to dabble into areas of performance that just might not have had the same level of experience in terms of understanding game demands, looking at GPS, looking at all these other aspects of technology and performance. But And then obviously, you've got some S&Cs in the industry as well that can absolutely dabble to the return to play space because they might have one or two years of physiotherapy exposure, didn't like it, then they went out to do exercise science in the movement or masters of high performance, et cetera. Yeah. So to me, that was an awesome opportunity because I got to deal a lot with the rehab guys and working with our physiotherapists in North and really just overseeing all of the running content design, which was, yeah, which was which was awesome. So I obviously spent a few years there in terms of until I had to jump over here. Yeah. And and for those that aren't aware of what the rehab role entails, in, in take us through what a typical day looks like and, and how you work with, with the rest of the team, I guess. Yeah, a lot of communication, obviously a lot of organisation with the players as well. Like you are literally living and breathing pretty much in their back pocket, particularly as it gets towards that point to end of performance. And I think to, like, to, their, to their credit, the physiotherapy staff under Matt Turnbull, obviously who was our head physiotherapist at the time at, uh, at North Melbourne, just such a collaborative person and, and really not only had been in the role previously with him and Dan Jones, Matt was an amazing teacher of understanding the injury they were actually dealing with and then weighing out, obviously, that projection time frame on some rough recommendations of the pathology and this is what's where it's at. And then, obviously, when we're talking about these concepts in terms of strength, floating, and really how that's going to be be progressed over time towards that core component of the program and then eventually returning them to run. So I think to Matt 
Matt's credit, like the work that he had obviously done at the Australian Institute of Sport, being on obviously Steve in the AFL environment, he was fantastic at being able to sit down with each of our staff members from an SEC standpoint and then just really map out what that continuum does look like. And then we're just constantly having dialogue around it. So the beauty about it was like you're constantly going through from day to day to assess based on clinical assessments with the physiotherapy staff. And then you're constantly thinking, well, this is what I've got planned for tomorrow from a running content perspective. Is it too much or is it not enough? And then really what we tried to drive was having like a main medical rehab meeting each week either at the start of the week or back end of the week to be able to review what the projection is going to look like for the week. And then yep. also at the back end of the week, looking at well, what did we do well and then what didn't we do well, where can we grow? And then obviously how does that programming influence going into that next week of projections? So it's a lot of coordination, obviously, inside of that. The Saturday mornings, like being able to go in and spend time with the players because like the running schedules, it just happened to fall into probably one bout on the weekend. Yeah. Um, and then you're constantly planning again on a Sunday to be able to get ready for the week because we knew that meeting obviously was, was coming through. So the commitments are certainly very high and like I've got to obviously <laughs> pay some respects to my wife for being able to put up with it for that role, to be honest, because it's in some aspects, it's a very selfish industry as well. When you're, when you're trying to work and manage kids and mortgages, it's, it's not an easy balance and you've got potentially five, six, seven, eight rehab players at the same time and trying to coordinate their lives. It's a, it's not an easy thing to be able to manage, but yeah, hence why you rely on those guys around you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and. How about the one-on-one time that you give with the athletes? And, and obviously, rehab's not a fun place for an athlete. They want to be playing the sport with the rest of their teammates. So did you lean on, obviously, your rehab experience at Carlton and, and assisting there, but also maybe your personal training experience, that one-on-one coaching early on in your career, do you feel, from a rapport point of view and, and helping them from a mental point of view in, in support? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I, I genuinely think like the the Probably the more exposure I got in the industry, the more comfortable you do get as well, in particular with the, with the playing group. And I think it just comes with time and there's an element of confidence that does do that. Mm. But it's it's probably just the, the relationship side, obviously, that it goes to another level. And, and to be honest, like a, a fair bit of banter between yeah. players and their staffs. But that's the camaraderie that effectively is a part of our culture that we that we want to be able to, to encourage. And 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 then that comes out, I think, genuinely in your in rehab and your coaching ability to be able to create, obviously, an environment where it's not all doing well, <laughs> yeah. but yep. just constantly looking at ways, to be honest, to even get the players out of the environment and go and either train them off-site, because particularly with North Melbourne, we're able to Myers Ascapala Leisure Centre and a lot of the players obviously lived around that area. I was in Strathmore at the time and could meet players down there to look at a running session and then go into the club or just trying to get them offside to obviously keep them engaged. But yeah, just having that constant ability to just think outside the square because it's not easy. And I just I genuinely think of like one example with yeah that I had with a with a player, I'm sure he won't mind mentioning, but Ed Vickers-Willis, who done his ACL, had a yeah, torrid career with, with injuries. But yeah, to, like it, it is a lot to be able to manage. And one day we just literally were in the 
gin with each other and uh, going back and forth and literally pretty much broke down in front of me and said, this is, I thought I'd be back a little bit close, quicker than what I was. I've never obviously been through one of these ACLs, I think, because I personally been through to be able to have that emotional connection with him and then obviously just say that, mate, we've got 12 months of, of rehab here to be able to, to get you right. Let's just remove you from the environment and literally we went and grab a coffee and yeah. we'll worry about training later. So yeah. little things like that, I think, go a long way with your relationships and, and the playing group to be able to encourage them to actually get out of here. Yeah, and you're thinking of them more of as a person in that scenario rather than just the athlete. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're going on, like they've got contracts, obviously. They're trying to yeah. maybe think about in their careers, like what's next as well in terms of their yeah, progression professionally. So sometimes it's just identifying, obviously, when that can happen and, and making sure you're working with them individually to be able to identify it. Oh, well said, mate. And yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing. So you you made the shift over to the to America. You have to take us okay. through your your thought behind yeah leaving North Melbourne and and heading over to the states. Yeah, I didn't mention this just before, but when I did start at the Western Jets, so I I did was very fortunate to have an opportunity to to go in with Vic Metro squad as well, and that was we had a few players obviously involved in those programs with Lachlan Hunter and James Sisley was just coming on board then as well but Jamie Hepner was my 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 goal in terms of my first real I suppose understanding of the GPS application he was the the one I come over here in an off season and literally got chatting to him about careers and, and everything and, and what do you know basically we we got to I suppose the part of the conversation where this opportunity probably only comes up once to go and get some international experience and this is certainly something that I was looking for and if I was going to go anywhere I think on the the world stage the sport in particular in the US is is the biggest and best and yeah that's certainly how that connection piece come along and uh, yeah. To be honest, I'm forever grateful for, for what I've, the exposure was, for what I've had to, to date from Jamie. It's been it's been an incredible ride. Yeah, fantastic, mate. And, and take us through your role at, at Catapult. It's a it's a massive company doing big things, and over like you mentioned, from the one hertz GPS units back at the very start of sports science GPS to, to what it's now doing. You take us through your what a typical what your role looks like from a day to day basis. Yeah, it's as you said, it's a it is a big company. And I think to be honest, like I didn't I didn't realise like how big catapult actually is on a global stage until and, and I say that because when you've been working in the Australian Football League system for such a long period of time and you really don't think no catapult where you've got league wide deals as well, to be able to see obviously the, the growth of that internationally now and where certainly the majority of that market share is actually at from catapult's perspective. On the, on the wearables plus on the video side, and it's just been fascinating. And I think it's like it's, and it's a, clearly it's obviously only, only growing, but I, I did get asked that question a few weeks ago when I had to catch up with the science for sports guys, but basically like it's, it's very varied in terms of, and, and you can create it kind of, I suppose, into your own little. Yeah. Similar to you, been running some webinars, uh, particularly when COVID didn't obviously hit us. And then eventually like a when Got over COVID, we basically, I said with a couple of my the sales guys that are having the company over here as well, and and really as part of our, I suppose, sports science team, and we have about eight to, I think it's nearly 10 of us now over here that are in remote-based roles. What are we doing to really grow the market from an educational standpoint? And then obviously, 
how we can really facilitate these performance conversations. And uh, what we tried to implement, and thankfully the company was very accepting of that and, and was prepared to back us up in regards to implementing it as workshops. And we had a o- couple of online major league software conferences here so far, and we're hoping to do one of those in person as well. But in conjunction with the University of Louisville earlier this year with Dr. Ernie Reimer and Dr. Pat Ivey, we were able to run at the collegiate level space a really well thought through high performance collegiate level discussion on all areas of high performance, not just being catapult technology, but what we're actually doing to, to grow the market over time and, and certainly invest in our practitioners as well. So that's kind of taken up a, a, a component at the, and then the various, I suppose, accounts that I'm exposed to through the company, which is on major league soccer and then into American football. I've done a little bit of work with the USA cricket team and then a good handful of universities has really led into more a consultancy opportunity for what I've been able to, to turn it into. And that's any areas of periodization, return to play next week, getting ready to go and present to the head strength coach and head coach at Vanderbilt football and uh, well, how they should, how could potentially map out their, their camp. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, okay. That's what we'll see. Yeah. Something just around the corner over this year. Everyone's gearing up for, for football. So, yeah, mate, to be able to have the opportunity to do that. And, and that's where, like, honestly, the since I moved over, you know, the collaboration I had with Jamie Hepner, who is our director of applied sports science, who looks after all of our NFL accounts. Mm-hmm. I think he's had such a big influence in that space for me, being able to, to look at game demands and then look at obviously what's required for those for, particularly for this sport in order to prepare that's something that i just absolutely love diving into and then we continue to grow out at the time yeah and if you're running a, i'm sure you've done this a webinar on how to analyze yeah game demands for a new sport because that's something you've experienced a lot over your career and now you're currently doing it you know you don't know on any given day, you could be talking about soccer and then then afternoon NFL and you know, a whole range of different sports in one day. Yeah, obviously you've picked up that skill set, but there'd be video analysis, I imagine. They'd be speaking to key relationships in the, in the sport from coaches, tactical, technical coaches and, and the strategy staff, and then also obviously looking at the objective markers. But what are some of your, I guess, top three things that you'd recommend a sports science slash strengthening coach when they're trying to yeah, maybe present to a head coach on understanding the game demands. What AFL did provide me with, and obviously the practitioners that I've worked on here as well, is, is just the, I suppose, the raw ability to program, and in particular, programming of running content design. So like having an actual, that was one of the first things I did, particularly getting over here, with the multitude of sports, obviously, that are now working, is just to understand, like, the, the, at the annual plan level, what does it look like in terms of their, their schedule? Working backwards from that to understand, well, the micro cycles, because particularly in Major League Soccer, the, which, which I think has been amazing for me personally to be able to review in the environments that I've been, that I've come from, but then also just look at things pretty differently now in terms of how we load and when we load and then how much athletes can actually handle. And, and that's where a gym, we think obviously that ability to go in and program for yourself, but then get some feedback from that 
with the practitioners that you're working in your little network, and I just happen to have a really good one now to be able to call upon and bounce ideas off. That that's the beautiful opportunity about this role at, at, at Chatterbox that it that it offers for anyone who's coming in because you know, you've got so many different opinions and you can obviously dive into any situation, conversation, one which goes all the way through from the head coach spoke to GMs all the way down to your physical therapists and your athletic trainers on load management principles or just understanding catapult at a, at a deeper level. So yeah. what the company is and, and what we're trying to achieve. So yeah, I think like having that ability, some having those performance conversations to really look at the detail of what you're trying to achieve and, and really have your own take on it philosophically as well. I think it's something that I've enjoyed with the conversations that have opened up to really dive into because there is some really class practitioners on here that uh, honestly I can, I can learn a lot from and we're hoping that I can contribute in, in particular areas for that as well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, something that you mentioned off there that, you know, technology and software specific for the goalkeeper and understanding their game demands. I imagine you'd be in a position, unique position, which is great that Catapult's investing in a role like yourself with your background where you're hearing, you got your finger on the pulse of what sporting clubs are, are wanting in terms of the tech and, and the demand from their point of view. And then you've, you're working with the, the company that's creating that. What are some exciting things do you, do you think that's sort of on the horizon or are you currently working on in terms of sports science? Cool. Yeah, big ones. I think it's just like, as I found out now, working for a technology company, it's just pushing the envelope in any areas of performance that we can. And uh, I never thought I'd be doing like video analysis and, and diving into components of that in integration with wearable data. Um, yeah. And now we've got the capacity to do that. <laughs> plug, but Match Tracker is now our, I suppose, our solution in that space in conjunction with all of our other platforms. But Match Tracker enables us to be able to integrate wearable data with all of our other third-party solutions into the one platform. So I think what that allows for the practitioners, genuinely, what I can see in the industry unfolding as well, if I think back to my own scenario, yeah. based off like doing running a car, it's your ability to, to get access to those platforms actually go and educate yourself as a practitioner on why do we move the ball this way? Like in a pressing or our def defensive cover, what does our shape look like in particular areas? And then look at the spacing of that. I think that is a huge investment, no doubt, for the company. But from my perspective, to see the evolution of that, it's probably been some of the, some of the questions where I've had to go upstairs to the analysts and literally say, can I grab a video to go and have a look at this guy's injury from the weekend, or uh, obviously to go and they would be coming to us to get GPS data. But now it's available essentially in the one platform. Yeah, well, uh, I think it's a, I think it's a huge, huge opportunity for like your performance managers who are dealing with the head coaches with mm -hmm. regards to their game plan and, and obviously the rollout of that. That's where I see it being really impactful. Because yeah. they're essentially making those decisions integrated with each other. It probably feels like I'm selling a little bit, but I just genuinely think it's going to automate components for these yeah. practitioners who are walking into those conversations with coaches and they've already preloaded by right clicking if that conversation comes up or work rate wasn't good enough. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. That. And that's okay. why we couldn't set up the zone properly. Yeah. 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 Spot. Yeah. So we're probably just trying to add yeah, yeah, like the biggest investment in regards to takeover. Yeah, this uh, certainly around this last sort of six months and beyond. 
That's exciting. And how long have you been in the role for now at Catapult? Yeah, it's been about two and yeah, nearly two and a half years now. Yep. Yep. Two and a half years. So I obviously moved over here literally on the evening yeah. pandemic. And yeah, it's, it's crazy how it's obviously yeah, got to this stage. So yeah, no, it's been it's been amazing. Traveling wise, as I was saying to you before, like it's I've certainly done a right over the last sort of twelve months. We've had good forty plus flights or so in terms of touching base with clients and working on projects and then obviously just meeting and greeting people as well, because that's something that obviously I haven't met a lot of these practitioners over here. And I think that's a, a it's a part of the opportunity that Catapult provides is obviously it is a business, but at the same time, you've got that connection piece with regards to practitioners to dive into any conversation that is going to help them utilize the full components of that technology. Yep. Yep. And the last one before we sort of touch on the, the last part of the, the podcast, but you mentioned a presentation that you're preparing for the head strength coach as well as the head coach. That would be as element of pressure on a presentation like that, I can imagine. So how do you, for, for those listening in, they might be presenting for their first job or, or a new job or, or it could be an assignment, whatever it might be, where there's a bit on it. What are some of your key focuses are when you're putting a presentation together like this one? Yeah, it's just knowing your room and knowing the audience, like there's no doubt about it. Thankfully, I have had this opportunity once before to to present to this uh, coaching group, which was amazing early on Yeah, But uh, I genuinely think like keeping it as, as simple as it possibly can, but go into some detail when you're required because they're going to want to hear rationale as to how you actually got there. And I think that's the that's really the the best piece about having like objective data to be able to walk into that conversation. I still think there is elements of interpretation in it, um, mm-hmm. but the more you can understand their environment, and that's something so simple as like asking questions to them and yeah. try to create it exactly what we're doing at the moment, like try to create it more of a discussion based around based around performance and, and how you're actually trying to help them. So, yeah, I definitely see those those areas being really the main focus. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So you're there to basically serve them and help yeah. them. Oh, absolutely, and, that, and that's something that, which sounds simple, but it's that's what the presentation's for ultimately. Yeah, yeah, yeah like I definitely got one story based off that, which I know he appreciate, and this is this is the beauty about it. But that exact conversation that happened really four or five months ago, seeing you literally a boardroom meeting with the head coach and you've got the head strength coach, you've got a sports scientist that's running Catapult and they basically just asked me to come up and we're going to try and work through what our learning actually looks like in consultation with the coaching staff and, and ask some specific questions based around what is Catapult, they're investing in it, how can we actually utilise this to its full potential? That also in conjunction with medical staff and then obviously kind of like a general manager of football. So to be always thrown into that conversation, I was, to be honest, petrified a little bit, but yeah. because I'm still learning elements of the game. But at the same time, I, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of my money. So but what was really critical was for me to bring my practitioner that I deal with on a daily basis, essentially, into that conversation to empower him to go to the head coach. So what I did was try to open up that communication pathway and basically after that conversation, the head coach was walking down to his office downstairs and checking in with regards to what do you have recommended as a daily load plan from then on. It seems like coming from that AFL high performance environment, now when you actually take a step back and you're like, how can that happen? 
when you're walking into this environment and when you see just the complexities of it and the amount of athletes that we're dealing with and coaching sciences as well, I think that's really critical to understand. And now that practitioner has just gone to the Carolina Panthers in the NFL as the, uh, as the head of sports science and George Bellarose is more like, yeah, what? classified now as well like guys because he's a schooler one but at the same time he's, um, he's done really well as part of his career progression that I think it, by empowering him in that conversation he's got real, a real seat at the table to be able to have that conversation with the coaching staff and all just like some Aussie that it's a big able to open up that conversation yeah I love that that's a great story awesome Fantastic. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll start to wrap up the, the podcast, but thanks so much for, for sharing your, your journey. We'll go to the lighter side of the podcast now, the, the get to know Matt section. First one, and you don't have to have one, but do you have a favorite inspirational quote or life motto? Yeah, I think, well, clearly, as you've seen, probably just through the journey to, tonight for you guys, I think just, yeah, looking at every opportunity and, and to be honest, assessing and, and seizing every opportunity that presents in the industry because... It is highly competitive, no doubt about it. And, and I think you've got to, within your own little network, whether it's family and close friends, et cetera, which is certainly something that, that I weighed up at the time, you've got to absolutely assess those situations. So yeah, literally seize the opportunities and, and at the same time, do it with, yeah, with real conviction and pride and, and perform at the best of your ability that you can. And what about in your work life, do you have a, a pet peeve or, or something that fires you up that you get angry about when it, when it happens? Yeah, it's probably a few. Like it, it's, it, I think now it's just the world you've been around the industry, you obviously are dealing with a lot of different personalities, yep. So which you've just got to, you've got to deal with. That's part of life as well. But it's just knowing sometimes you've got to take a bit of a step back and really assess the situation and hear other people's opinions that you're not always mm. right. Um, mm -hmm. It's a part of management as well. So, yeah, just being able to, to really be, yeah, have that in the back of your mind to be collaborative because some things are going to grind your gears and probably comes more for my kids at the moment with regards to managing them. But from a work perspective, it's like, yeah, you, you're literally trying to deal with a lot. So, yeah, whatever the situation might be. Yep. Yep. And what about what's your favorite way to spend your day off? Yeah, over here at the moment, like I definitely used to like getting out, riding, going to catch up with family, like being a country boy. I try to get back home to Australia, to be honest, whenever I, whenever I could. And I love going back and doing some fishing. I still do over here. There's a lot of mountain sort of hikes as well, heaps of extra curricular activities. So, yeah, I think when you've got kids on top of that, you're constantly looking at your weekends, exploring what you can do. And so, that, uh, yeah, that's sort of something we try and put it. Put a big focus on it just as a family as to how we actually yeah manage that component of their life as well because we just get caught up in the in the day today in terms of what we're doing and sometimes we just take a step back yeah yeah fantastic yeah it's a lot more hilly than australia that's for sure uh -huh. yeah, it's great places to explore well what's what's on the horizon for you for the rest of 2022 mate what, what are you excited about at the moment Oh, I like, geez, the next couple of weeks, I'm off to Nashville next week to meet with Bamba football, as I said, but they're also the soccer team, Nashville XC. Week after, sorry, week after, two weeks after that, I'm off to Portland and Seattle. Um, and then the week after that, I think I'm off to Philadelphia. So, what? Uh, 
a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of travel coming up, but yeah, we're trying to really, I think, look at the global stage as well as the, how we develop workshops over here and it's collaboration between countries. I think that's a beautiful thing about Catapult is that we've got multiple countries and bringing people and connections together, whether it's with our EPL customers from a soccer perspective, football perspective, and as well as the MLS and Bundesliga or in South America with the Tan region. I think we would really love to try and develop something in person with our practitioners on here. So yeah, hopefully we can get the green light and, and, and get something like that underway because I think it really adds some value towards our, our, our customers as well as our practitioners from a knowledge perspective. Oh, absolutely. And for those that want to learn up a little bit more or, or send in some questions, where, where's the best place to get in contact with yourself? Okay. Probably, yeah, probably on LinkedIn. Like that's that's one I'd yeah probably spend a little bit more time on. To be honest, that or Instagram seems to be daughters are starting to have a look at that now. Because yeah. managing your socials, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nah, it's something. Yeah, and like I, I think that's probably or email obviously with regards to like I've got Matthew Pell, Matthew dot Pell at Outlook dot com. So that's probably yep. the easiest. Or yeah, we can certainly share word emails and so forth as well if they want. Yeah, yeah. Well, for those listening, we'll add the links in the show notes. So if you're driving and listening to this podcast, uh, you can check out the links after you finish driving. But yeah, thanks again, mate, for, for jumping on. And uh, thank you for everyone that's uh, tuned in. And if you tuned in halfway through or maybe three quarters through, make sure to listen to the whole episode. We'll release the podcast on your favorite podcast directory as of next Tuesday. And you can also find the recording on YouTube. So the recording will, will be there as soon as we click off live in the next couple of minutes our next chat is also with john pry which is this friday the 22nd at 3 30 p.m so that's australian eastern time if you want to tune in for that chat and if you've got any questions for john make sure to send them through but thanks again maddie really appreciate you for coming on and looking forward to following the, re- the rest of your career no doubt you're yeah, just the very beginning mate so big things lying ahead no i appreciate it mate no thanks again thanks again you've done an amazing job with this jack so yeah all the best to you appreciate it cheers maddie Awesome. Thanks, mate. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Hollywood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, It'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. 
welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us. Awesome. So he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career. Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah it certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day, just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things. And, um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's if you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.